I want to start off by taking you back in time. I want to take you all the way back to Christmas Day, 1987. That little guy is me on Christmas morning. As you can see from the smile on my face, I loved Christmas. Every year, about five minutes after Thanksgiving dinner was cleared away, I'd be saying, hey, mom, when are we going to put up the Christmas tree? And she'd say, not yet. And then I'd go over to my dad and I'd say, hey, dad, when are we going to put up the Christmas lights? You see, as a kid, I loved everything about Christmas. I loved decorating. I loved making lists for Santa. I loved baking cookies. And when my dad would take me to the mall to try and find a gift for my mom, everything about Christmas just seemed magical. But I started to lose that love of Christmas as I grew older. It wasn't all at once. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, nah, I, I don't like Christmas anymore. But slowly, over time, the season started to lose its magic. I think that one of the biggest reasons that Christmas started to lose its magic for me was just teenage cynicism. We think of Christmas as mostly a holiday for children. And when we become teenagers, many of us lose that ability to suspend our disbelief and get carried away with the joy of the season. And when I look back, I realize that another part of growing into adulthood, at least for myself and maybe for some of you, involved pushing away my parents and my family. I remember that I had this tradition with my mother. Every year we would bake Christmas cookies. It would be one of the highlights of the season, baking boxes and boxes of cookies to, for our family to share with our friends and neighbors. But I reached a certain point as I grew older when my mom would ask me if I wanted to bake cookies with her. And I'd say, well, Mom, I'm actually kind of busy with some other stuff right now. Looking back, I realize how painful that must have been for her, how painful it must be for all parents. But I think children have to do that sometimes. They have to push their parents away in order to create their own identity, in order to be their own selves. Another large part of why Christmas lost its meaning for me was that I left the faith of my childhood. I was raised in the United Church of Christ. I attended a small country church that was about five minutes away from where my family lived. Now, my parents weren't professing Christians. They weren't the kind of people who talked about their faith, and we didn't really pray before meals. But the church was a large part of our social world. We went almost every Sunday. And at that time, so much of my understanding of the Christmas holiday was wrapped up in those corporate rituals, the hanging of the greens, the children's advent calendar where you'd count down the days to Christmas by punching a little hole and getting a little piece of candy, and the Christmas Eve candlelight service where the congregation would sing Silent Night and there'd be such a sense of peace in the room. So when I left the church, I thought that I had to leave all that stuff behind me. I thought, I can't sing songs anymore about an image of God that no longer speaks to what I believe. And the last reason that I think Christmas lost some of its luster, and I think this may be the main reason, was that from my late teens until my late 20s, for about 10 years, I struggled with serious mental illness, depression, and anxiety. Christmas was a hard time for me 
because I was prone to comparing myself to other people. And other people always seemed to be having a much better time than I was. Other people seemed to be enjoying themselves more. Other people seemed to be going to better parties than I was, or they seemed to have more loving families. Christmas was a tough time for me because I had severe social anxiety. And Christmas is a holiday that we spend with other people. You would go out to the shopping, shopping and the malls are packed with people. You go to big parties with other people. And you go to family events with lots of other people. Maybe with people who you don't often see or get to talk to that much. Maybe with people who aren't always nice to you. At that point in my life, when I looked at other people, I was 100% sure that I didn't measure up. And I was terrified of their judgments. I was terrified of feeling vulnerable. But I don't think I was alone in feeling that way. In fact, I think many people struggle with feelings of sadness and depression during the holidays. Sometimes we have expectations that are just too high. If we have happy memories of Christmas as a child, we want to pass those traditions, those things that made the season so special for us, onto our children. But if our childhood memories were unhappy, then as adults we think, now I can fix it. For my kids, it's going to be better. That can lead us to be competitive, to think, oh, this Christmas has to be better than next year or last year, or I have to get the perfect gift for my partner. We compete with our neighbors over who has the most festive Christmas decorations, and we compete with our friends over who buys the most lavish gifts. You might think, oh, my sister is taking her family to Florida for Christmas this year. Maybe we should take our family to Europe. We end up falling for the big lie of consumerism, which says that you can spend money to fix any problem. Maybe you're feeling guilty because you spent too much time at work and you missed a few too many of your son's soccer games. And you think, oh, well, I'll just buy him that new Xbox and that will make up for it. Or maybe you haven't been putting enough energy into your relationship with your partner and you think, oh, I'll just buy her a nice or I'll just get him that thing he's wanted, and that will make up for it. But it never really makes up for it, does it? I mean, sure, people like getting nice things, but nothing you can buy can ever make up for the time you fail to spend with the people that you love. We keep falling into that same trap. We keep thinking that if we find the right gifts, if the tree is decorated just right, and if we follow all of Grandma's recipes exactly, then that is what will make Christmas perfect this year. And when we start to doubt whether our children's happiness hinges on getting the exact brand and size and color of whatever they asked for Santa this year, there's that voice inside our heads saying, I'm only doing this because I want what's best for my family. If there is such a thing as what's best for our family, I doubt that you can find it at a shopping mall. And other people have different problems. For many people, the holidays means a vacation, a time away from work or school. But we can't take a vacation from ourselves. And many of us are carrying very heavy burdens that we don't get to take a break from. If we're struggling with alcohol and substance abuse problems, it may seem like late December is just party after party. And many people have food addictions, 
which can be hard because so many of our holiday traditions revolve around food. And many people have trouble with depression at a time when it seems like everyone else's lives are overflowing with joy. What can be worse is when it seems like our families and our friends sometimes make our struggles more difficult. The holidays mean spending a lot of time with family members who don't always treat us with the kindness and the respect that we deserve. Or if we've chosen sobriety, we may also have friends who continue to drink. And at times that choice, which was ultimately so necessary to keep us safe and sane, nonetheless can feel like a social death. And some of us are completely alienated from our families. There is a silent epidemic of youth homelessness in this country. It's not that far away in Philadelphia. A recent study found that 54% of homeless youth identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgendered. These are young men and women who were thrown out of their homes after revealing their sexuality to their families. Some of us may have experienced that same kind of alienation from our families. If not because of our sexuality, maybe some abuse or trauma has ruptured that relationship. So I want to acknowledge the deep sense of pain and grief that some of us might be feeling this holiday season. But I also don't want to leave you feeling hopeless, because I do believe that Christmas can be a season of joy and light, even for those who struggle. But the real question is, how do we do that? How do we put up with family members who abuse us? How do we get past all of the consumerism and competitiveness? Now, one answer is compassion. Now, my understanding of compassion has been heavily influenced by something called the Metta Meditation or the Loving Kindness Meditation. The Loving Kindness Meditation is a Buddhist spiritual practice which seeks to water those seeds of love and compassion that are already inside of us. We begin by focusing compassion on ourselves. Now I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Now imagine yourself as a small child. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And as you do so, direct those feelings of love and compassion towards the image of yourself as a young child. Repeat the following words. May I be happy. May I be well. May I be safe. May I be peaceful and at ease. Now open your eyes. Feeling compassion for ourselves is something that many of us struggle with. We may find it easy to feel compassion for our friends and family, and we may feel compassion for people who are victims of injustice and oppression. But too often we fail to feel compassion for ourselves. Instead of following the age-old advice to be our own best friends, we instead act like our own worst critics. One important part of self-care and self-compassion is setting boundaries. Setting boundaries is simply taking the time to decide beforehand how you are going to treat other people and how you are going to let other people treat you. Now, I'm a fan of Dan Savage. 
He's an LGBT activist and author. He's probably best known for the It Gets Better campaign that was started in 2010 to prevent suicide among teens who were being bullied because of their sexuality. Savage writes a lot about relationships, marriage, and family. And one of his key concepts is that every relationship has a price of admission. That is the price you have to pay in order to be in a relationship with that person. It could be your partner, it could be a friend, it could be someone in your family. But whenever you have a relationship with another person, there are going to be things about that person that maybe you don't like, but that you can't change. Putting up with those things is the price that you have to pay to be in a relationship with that person. As an example, I want you to think of someone who's married to a doctor. If you're married to a doctor, you have to accept that she works long hours. You have to accept that she could get paged in the middle of the night and have to go into the hospital. She may even get called away during your anniversary dinner. That's just something that you have to accept to be in a relationship with that person. Or imagine that you're friends with someone who's a serious sports fan and you don't like sports. You have to accept that on Sunday afternoons, your friend is going to be parked in front of the TV watching football. And during the baseball playoffs, they're not going to be available to go out to a concert or have dinner with you. The price of admission for that friendship is that you either pretend to be into sports with them or you only spend time with them when they're not watching sports, which may mean that you simply end up spending less time with that person. If the price of admission for someone in your family or a friend is that they constantly criticize your partner or your career choices or your parenting style or your body shape, maybe that is a price that you just don't want to pay. No one has the right to abuse you, no matter if they gave birth to you, raised you, married you, or helped you out when you were in a jam. No one has the right to abuse you. Our tradition teaches us that every person has inherent worth and dignity. And if someone in your life isn't treating you like someone who possesses inherent worth and dignity, then you have every right to limit the time that you spend with that person or eliminate it completely if necessary. Another important part of self-care is knowing your limits and not putting yourself in a situation which may trigger you. So that means if you're in recovery and all of your friends are going out to the bar to celebrate New Year's Eve, you can say, well, I can't go out to the bar with you, but I would love to go get a cup of coffee with you next week. Or you can say, I can't go out to the bar with you, but I would love it if you guys all came over to my house and I'll make you dinner before you go out. If you struggle with social anxiety, maybe you don't agree to go to every party or social event. Or maybe you stop by for an hour, but don't force yourself to stay in a situation that makes you miserable. And if you have financial limitations, respect them. Don't think that you have to buy extravagant gifts to try and earn someone else's love. The greatest gifts that we can give anyone this season come from ourselves. Next, we're going to focus compassion on a loved one. This could be your partner, your child, or a parent. It could also be a friend whom you care deeply about. Now close your eyes 
and create a mental picture of that person. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, and as you do so, direct those feelings of love and compassion towards that person. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be peaceful and at ease. Now open your eyes. The greatest gift that we can offer our loved ones this holiday season is to simply be present to them. And the greatest gift that we can offer ourselves is simply to be present to those things which are lifting up our souls. So if you like singing Christmas carols, then sing Christmas carols. But don't just sing, sing your heart out. It doesn't matter if you question the Immaculate Conception or whether the baby Jesus really was born in a stable. If you have the chance to spend time with family and friends whose company you enjoy, be present to those moments. Don't spend that time worrying about the gifts you haven't purchased yet or the work that you still have to do. Next, I want you to focus compassion on a neutral person. This could be a neighbor or a coworker whom you don't know that well. It could be the store clerk who helped you with your holiday shopping. Close your eyes and create a mental picture of that person in your mind. Now I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And as you do so, direct those feelings of love and compassion towards that person. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be peaceful and at ease. Now open your eyes. Many of us have had the experience of standing in a checkout line and watching a customer belittle a store clerk who was only trying to do his or her job. We all know how easy it can be to snap at a waiter in a restaurant or someone we work with when we're feeling the pressure of the holiday season. How can we keep our stress from harming others? One answer I'm going to suggest is distance. Distance is simply creating some space between ourselves and those parts of the holiday season which cause us aggravation. Now many of us struggle this because we're taught the exact opposite of distance. We're taught to be available. Women especially are taught that they should always be available to help others and always put the needs of others above their own needs. We're taught that we're expected to give 110% to our jobs and 110% to our children. We're expected to always be there to support our partners and we're expected to be there for our parents and our friends whenever they struggle. But the truth is that, that that's just not possible. So what does this mean in our lives? It means we take a long look at all the busyness, the lists, and all of our unrealistic expectations, and we let go of those things which no longer feed our souls. We have to accept that we can't recreate our childhoods for our children. And we may have to let go of some of those things which no longer fit into our schedules. We may have to settle for stovetop stuffing, instead of grandma's homemade recipe. We may decide to skip the company Christmas party if we feel overscheduled. We have to learn to say no to people who we love, 
but who sometimes ask us for more than we can give. There's a practice in agricultural societies that we seem to have forgotten. It's called seed saving. After the harvest, when all the corn had been collected, people would set a little bit of the seed aside to plant next year. And the thing is that no matter what happens, if it was a bad harvest, if it was a famine, even if people were starving, you still have to put those seeds aside. Because if you don't, you'll have nothing left when it becomes time to begin again. Too often we convince ourselves that we have to give and give and give until we have nothing left. We have to set a little bit of ourselves aside, a little bit that we don't give away. Otherwise, we'll just burn ourselves out. The last part of the loving kindness meditation is where most people struggle. I want you to think of a hostile person. This could be someone with whom you've had major conflict. Maybe someone in your family or your boss. Close your eyes and create a mental picture of that person in your mind. Now I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And as you do so, direct feelings of love and compassion towards that person. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be peaceful and at ease. Now open your eyes. When you think about that, that's really hard. I mean, it's easy to love the people that we love. The people that we love are awesome. The people that we love are kind to us. They value us. It's so much more difficult to feel compassion for the coworker who always interrupts you during staff meetings or the person who cut you off in traffic this morning. I'm going to leave you with a personal story. A couple years ago, I was dating a young woman, and we had been together for about a year. Um, it was Christmas time, and we were having a Christmas Eve dinner at her grandmother's house. Now, you may not know this about me, but I'm a very liberal guy. I'm liberal politically, socially, economically. Her father, on the other hand, was very conservative. He was a a dyed-in-the-wool, Fox News-watching conservative. And I remember that we were sitting around the table on Christmas Eve, and her father started talking about how reverse racism was actually a bigger problem in America than, you know, real racism, the kind that actually happens. And there was something in my head that just clicked. And I wanted to say something that was really smart and sarcastic. And I wanted to prove to him just how completely ignorant that statement had been. But luckily, I took a moment to stop and and think before I spoke. And the thing was that my ex-girlfriend had struggled for most of her adult life with mental illness, with serious depression and anxiety. And this man, her father, had been there for her in the times when she went to the hospital. And he had been there for her on those mornings when she felt like she couldn't get out of bed. And the fact that he had shown compassion and love for someone who meant so much to me, well, that was just so much more important than the silly differences that we had over politics. I hope this season brings you love and compassion. May you be happy. May you be well, may you be safe, may you be peaceful and at ease.
If you would please join me in prayer. God of the long night, God of compassion, remind us that even when it seems darkest, there is an abundance of joy and light this season. Remind us that we must learn to forgive ourselves both for what we have done and what we have failed to do. Remind us that the true joy of this season is not found in what we buy, but in who we are, in those simple gifts of laughter and smiles, and in being present to those we love and care for. Amen.